Amen. Thank you. So we're starting a new class this quarter on a book called Natural Evangelism. I know not everybody can see this, but Natural Evangelism by Matthew Morine. He's a preacher out in Colorado, originally from Canada, so he speaks a little funny. We're going to watch a video of him talking, and you'll pick on to that pretty quickly. Um, but he's got multiple degrees, went to preaching school in Texas, went to Heritage Christian, went to Free Hardeman. Um, and this is published by Gospel Advocate. You can buy it through Gospel Advocate for $9.99. Uh, so not too bad. They marked it up where I got it. So, um, And I was going to print it out for us each week, but in the front of the book it says it is illegal and unethical to duplicate copyrighted material. So uh, we're just going to have the outlines. Um, but the whole approach here is uh, for us to become better equipped evangelists. That's the goal. And um, I'm not necessarily an expert, uh, but this guy put a lot of time and study into this and shares a lot of good insights with us. And I think that together uh, we can all grow in that area. And the goal isn't to necessarily have a program or, you know, a 10-part pamphlet track or anything like that. But the goal is to bring these evangelism methods into our everyday life. Because uh, there's people we interact with every day who aren't Christians. Uh, whether they're, you know, somebody at the store, family member, friend, um, guy who mows our lawn, somebody. Uh, and it's just being more mindful, being more purposeful when we're in those interactions and bringing up things uh, that can help us. So we're going to do that by studying this book, by bringing it together with some relevant Bible passages. And, um, you know, again, the goal, it's not, we're not going to be reading from a script or anything like that. We're just going to be thinking about ourselves, where we've come from how we've uh, benefited from the blessings in Christ and thinking about bringing that up to other people when we converse with them. So if we look at your outline, some hopeful outcomes or goals. By the end of this study, this is uh, some of our goals. And the first place for us to become more confident in our spiritual conversations. I don't know about you, but a lot of times when I see an opportunity to mention something, to talk to somebody, about something spiritual, about something about Jesus, to try to evangelize to them, sometimes I don't because I start thinking, well, what am I going to say? You know, and you kind of, um, whether it's insecurity or lack of confidence, you just pass on that opportunity because you don't feel very confident about it. Uh, so the goal here in this class is to have some things in mind, some things uh, that we've already thought about that we can bring up in conversation. The next goal is for us to have more regular spiritual conversations with non-Christians. So it's not just having more confidence, but it's actually trying to increase the rate at which we talk to people uh, who aren't in the church, um, wherever they may be, wherever uh, we might meet them or see them. Maybe they're in our own homes. Uh, maybe there's somebody who's close to us or out and about. Next, for us to use our own personal stories more often in spiritual conversations. And I think sometimes we avoid this language because the denominational world talks about giving your testimony and stuff like that. I'm not suggesting any of that that comes with that denominational baggage, but all of us weren't always Christians. Even if we were raised in the church, as we often say, there was a time when we were guilty of sin and Christ stepped in and by our faithful response, we've been saved. And that's powerful. Uh, and there's people who can benefit from hearing that. And for those of us uh, maybe whose lives drastically changed in a lot of ways when that happened for us, uh, it can be powerful to share with other people who might have similar struggles. And really what we're going to see is that God can use us where we've come, uh, things we've experienced, to reach out to people. 
And we're going to talk about a little bit more about that uh, later. Uh, next goal for us to talk about Jesus, not because we feel like we have to, but because we want to. And I know that might sound like splitting hairs, uh, but sometimes our evangelism is motivated out of uh, maybe a fear of what God will do to us if we don't evangelize. Maybe it's motivated out of the guilt of, I know this is something I should be doing, and I haven't been doing it, so then I feel compelled to do it. And I don't think those things are inherently bad. Those are natural emotions we feel. That's, I mean, when you know you should be doing something and you don't do it, you should feel bad, right? Um, but we don't want that to be the sole motivation for why we talk to people. We need to remember that we actually have good news. You know, we're not, we're, we're not, how many more of those? We are doing somebody a favor by trying to evangelize to them. It's not like we're adding a burden to their life. Uh, we're trying to help them out. So just keeping that in mind. Likewise, for us to set up more Bible studies with non-Christians. The goal isn't just to have a conversation. The goal is to, from that conversation, lead to actually sitting down with somebody. And, you know, it's 2019. Maybe the Bible study doesn't look like me and this person in their home around their kitchen table. Maybe I'm texting them. Maybe we're emailing. Maybe it's a phone call. Um, maybe we're doing snail mail. Whatever it is uh, to try to uh, get people to that point where they're interested in looking at the Bible together. Likewise, piggybacking off of that, a goal is for us to feel more confident when we study the Bible with non-Christians. And again, we're not going to rehearse a script or anything like that, but we're going to look at some verses that are um, good for us to know, good for us to remember, good for us to have on hand, so that we can no longer use the excuse of, well, I would study the Bible with somebody, but I don't know where to start, or I don't know where to go, or I don't know where that verse is. Uh, we're going to have something in our minds and maybe even in our pockets uh, so we can go and know where to go. Likewise, for us to more regularly pray for evangelistic opportunities for ourselves and those around us. And we're going to look tonight, uh, time willing, that this is an extremely biblical concept, that we're praying to have opportunities to evangelize, not just for ourselves, but for other people. Um, you know, some, some men, when they get up to lead prayer in church, almost every time they lead a prayer, they mention missionaries. And I'm thankful for that. That's something I forget a lot of times when I'm praying. Um, we should be praying for missionaries. We should be praying for our own community, people we interact with every day. That something can happen, um, that we could say something that could change their lives and lead to them becoming Christians. Also, for us to step outside of our comfort zones for the sake of soul winning. Comfort zone is kind of a um, buzzword. You know, a lot of people talk about comfort zones. And some people, the way they talk about comfort zones, it's like we should step out of comfort zones just for the sake of stepping out of comfort zones. Not necessarily. Maybe there's things within our comfort zones we can do. But if our comfort zone is keeping us from doing something we know we should do, then we have to step outside of it. Uh, we have to be willing to be uncomfortable to talk to somebody, uh, to mention something to somebody about Jesus, to try to have those spiritual conversations. Any questions or comments so far? Anything anybody wants to add? All right. Well, just keep those goals in mind and just we'll check back in with them uh, throughout this study and say, okay, how are we doing on some of these things? So we are going to play a short video real quick, uh, technology permitting. And it's not too, too loud. I hope we're all going to be able to hear it. And it's from the author of this book himself, just kind of giving an introduction for the book and giving a trajectory of where the book is headed.
Can anybody hear that? Okay. Three people shook, nodded their heads. Sharing your story. Nobody wants a cheesy pitch. 
probably never see us. And for the purpose of these videos, just imagine that my name is Greg. All right. So I hope you all could hear him. You can see he pronounced some words a little funny, but that's uh, he's from Nova Scotia, so that goes with the territory. Um, but I'm excited. I hope you are as well. So just building a foundation, we're going to look at some of the, uh, in mind where the book's going, we're going to look at some of the biblical passages that hopefully will stir in us some motivation to start having these conversations with people, start evangelizing. So the first place, turn your Bibles to Matthew 4, if you will, Matthew 4. And we're going to see that evangelism is at the very heart, was at the very heart of Jesus' purpose while here on earth. There's, that, there's a couple of famous verses, right, where Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. That Jesus came uh, to die and to save people from their sins. That Jesus came um, to, not for um, those who have no need of a physician, but for those who are ill. And we're going to see that right after Jesus' temptation, which was sort of a transition at the beginning of his ministry, the first thing he does is start evangelizing. Notice there, Matthew 4, beginning in verse 11. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, behold, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So notice right, I mean, he's, he's baptized, he goes into the wilderness. Right on the other side of that, he immediately starts preaching. It's, there's no warm-up, there's no trial run. He immediately starts preaching. And what you see is that he was focused on spreading the word, if you keep on reading. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. What's Jesus' goal? Again, he's trying to spread the word. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brother, brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father, and followed him. Uh, and they went, notice this, verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he starts preaching immediately, one of the first things he does. Then he goes and he calls his first disciples, and what does he say when he calls them? Come with me and I'll make you fishers of men. So what's their purpose? Evangelism. And he goes, and what's his next thing? He starts preaching. So you see, just like that, Jesus in his life and his ministry hits the ground running. Evangelism is really one of the first things on his list. Likewise, Jesus commanded and foresaw the spread of the gospel. If you look at Matthew 28, the verse we're all familiar with, uh, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And again, feel free if you have something to say, just raise your hand and. Uh, We'll talk about it. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, this is after, right before his ascension, Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
So what? He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And Bob talks about this a lot, how this verb here, this idea of as you go, preach to those who are there in your way, with you, wherever you're going. So the idea isn't necessarily every person needs to buy a plane ticket. The idea is as I'm going, wherever I'm going, I'm spreading the word. I'm trying to engage people in those conversations. I'm trying to bring more souls um, to Christ. Likewise, when you think about John 17, 20, and Jesus' prayer to the Father, the high priestly prayer, as it's sometimes called, he prays, he says, not only for these, speaking of the disciples, but also of those who will believe through their word. So Jesus has already foreseen that the gospel is going to spread. Why? Because he had hope and trust that the people who followed him would do what he commanded. And he believed that so much, he was praying to God, the Father, not only just for them, but for the people that they would convert as well. Likewise, part of the purpose of the church by design, I put was there, it should say is, is to spread the word. Look at there at the end of Luke. Luke 24, verses 44 through 49. And this is sort of Luke's parallel account of what was going on around the time before the Ascension and the Great Commission. There's a little bit more detail in Luke's Gospel, as there usually is. But Luke 24, beginning in verse 44, Then Jesus said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the Law of Moses and the Prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. This is part of that prophecy that Jesus, these prophecies that Jesus kind of strings together. It's not just prophesied that Jesus will come to earth and that he'll die and that he will rise again from the dead. It's also prophesied that in the name of Jesus, his word will be given to all the nations. And we see that in some of the prophecies in Isaiah 2, for example, um, and even Daniel 7. Uh, But going on there, uh, beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And we read that, In Acts Acts 1 and 2, we read about the follow-up on that. But think about, from the beginning, the purpose of the church, in part, not all of it, but in part, the purpose of the church is to preach Jesus, is to spread His Word, is to spread the Gospel. Uh, So to live up to that, you know, that's not just um, for people who are ministers, not just for elders, it's for all of us as disciples to try to live up to that. Alright, so moving on to the next one. We see that the early church was known for spreading the word. It wasn't something that they did if it suited them. It wasn't something that was really optional for them. They really hit the ground running. We see this beginning in Acts 4, verse 31. This is right after the believers are praying for boldness. Peter and John had just been arrested and released. And in verse 31, when they had prayed, the place in which Um, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. So you see that they continued to do it. So that means they were already doing it. 
And not just Peter and John. All the brethren are here gathered together praying. So they're saying, look, this is what we're going to continue to do. We're praying to God for protection, for strength, for guidance. But we're going to continue to do our part. And we're going to continue to preach the word boldly. Acts 5.28, uh, if you would look there with us. Acts 5.28. Acts 5.28 again, before a council, they get captured, arrested. And the council says to them, We strictly charge you not to teach in his name, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So, you know they were already doing it because the council had to command them to stop. But even when they were commanded to stop, what did they do? They kept at it, right? They said, you filled Jerusalem with this name, with this teaching. Um, so for them, it wasn't just a, a super uh, optional thing. It was something that they were dedicated to and that they were really serious about. And then Acts 8.4, one uh, really well-known passage in this area, talking about evangelism. And you see how, again, the church was devoted to it. Right on the heels of the stoning of Stephen, Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Excuse me. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So you've got this intense early persecution. You see one of your brethren die. And you say, man, we've got to get out of here. But they don't stop spreading the gospel. They just stop living in that location. Right? So as they're going, as they're going about, they're still preaching the word. They're still spreading the gospel. And I know the opportunities are different for us now. And that's part of why this book exists and why we're doing this class. We don't really have opportunities like they did to just stand out in a market somewhere and start preaching at the top of our lungs. It's a completely different culture. Even if we started doing that, it probably wouldn't work very well. Uh, here in America, people who are out on the street with like a loudspeaker usually viewed as kind of off their rocker, you know, you don't really think, oh, wait, I'll listen to what this guy has to say. So we have to adjust, not the word, not the doctrine, not what we're saying, but we're adjusting our methods. And it's something we can all do in our everyday lives, and that's really, really the goal. Any questions or comments so far on this line of thinking? Okay, what do you think about the example we have of the early church? What does that say to us? Is it challenging? Is it encouraging? How does it make you feel? Even in the worst of environments, they, they took advantage of that. I mean, it wasn't that their eye was off the ball. They, despite what was happening to them, they still were focused on what was most important, and that was spreading the gospel. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. It wasn't conditional upon their lives being comfortable or great or whatever. Whatever they were going through, they were going to still talk to people. Like they're running from persecution, and sometimes we use the excuse that I'm too busy yeah. to do evangelism. I mean, I'd say they were probably pretty busy running from persecution. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, that's part of why we're trying to get in this mindset of wherever we are, there's people around us who need the gospel. 
And if we can introduce that in a way that uh, might be appealing to them, uh, we should do it and have the courage to do it. Anything else on that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, this is something that, that's, that's for everybody. I think like along the lines that Marvin was saying, you know, when we read the New Testament, you know, Peter stands out, Paul stands out. And clearly they're, they're type A personalities. I mean, they're, you know, Peter's like a big fullback, you know, give me the ball and I'm going to go, you know. And he might fumble three or four times, but, you know, and, and Paul, you know, obviously he had the intellect and everything, you know, very intelligent, uh, very focused, disciplined person. But then you come to Timothy. And here's Timothy, and, and Paul left him in Ephesus. And, and Paul has to write him, Timothy, you're not doing what you should be doing. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting that Paul says to him, stir up that gift which is in you. And of course... Timothy had the miraculous gift that Paul had given him through the laying on hands. But the principle is, you know, I may not be a Peter. I may not be a Paul. You know, I may not be a, a Titus or a Barnabas or, or um, uh, can't think of the guy, Philippus, Apollos. But I have something to offer. Mm -hmm. And whatever that is, whether it's encouraging people that visit with cards or, or whatever it is, I need to be using that. And we all have something that we can do. It doesn't necessarily have to be the one teaching, but you can be the one facilitating that opportunity to teach. Definitely. Or even praying about it. Exactly. I mean, if the entire church was praying for opportunities, you know, uh, for things like this, I think we would see fruit from that. 100% I believe that. Yeah, that's a good point. There, there's a story told about um, Charles Spurgeon, is that his name? Mm -hmm. And he was a, a big Baptist preacher in the, I guess, the late 1800s uh, in London. And at the congregation where he preached, there were like 5,000. And he was showing someone around, and, and he took them into this room, and there were about 500 of his members just praying for him and for his work and for his sermons that they might be effective. And so here's people that, that really are not the children of God, but they realize the power of prayer. 
definitely. You know, and here we are, the we are the children of God. God mm -hmm. hears our prayers. Mm -hmm. uh, but yet sometimes we don't take advantage of that. Definitely. I know some of this might be cultural. I don't know if you've seen this in Ghana, but I went to school with, at Freed, a guy who was from Nigeria, and he was in the country just to get his education, and then he was going back home. And he said when they regularly do meetings where they come together and fast all day and pray all night for, yeah, eight plus hours, and I know that sounds, you know, intense, um, but that's something they would regularly do. And if they ever had an evangelistic campaign the day before... <coughs> They were together. They were together, fasting and praying and begging God that hearts would be opened, um, that the word would have an increase, etc. So there's definitely things we can do, even if we're uncomfortable, like you were saying, being out front and being uh, in that kind of position. There's things we can do still. And even then, part of this lesson is there's people in our lives that really only we can reach. There's people in our lives that we might be the only Christian they know. And if we don't say something, and if we're not praying for them, um, what's going to happen, you know? And I mean, there's several people in my life just like that. So I need to uh, repent and do better uh, myself. Moving on here on this list of things, notice that we should be carrying out what Paul calls this ministry of reconciliation. I've gotten in trouble for this before. I'm not saying that we're ambassadors for Christ the same way Paul is because he was given a very specific, specialized ministry as an apostle. But we can learn from Paul's motivation in his evangelism. And we can learn from what his mindset was, especially in this passage. Beginning verse 11, 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. So God, Paul trying to persuade other people, trying to talk to other people, comes from a fear of the Lord. And it's not that he's, I'm so afraid of God, like a boogeyman. Like if I don't do this, he's going to punish me. He has this reverent awe, this respect for God to the point that he knows that he's got a job to do and he's going to fulfill it. The same way um, when we respect whoever's above us and they give us a task, we're eager to complete it. He says, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to your conscience. We are not committing ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what is in the heart. So there were those who were claiming to be superior apostle to Paul, those who were trying to undermine his work, and Paul's kind of defending himself. But notice what he says. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no, long, might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Paul's motivation here is not only the love of Christ, but the death of Christ. It's something that he says every person should be living in light of that. And that's what Paul says is his motivation and he's trying to get other people to see what Christ has done for them and to say, look, this is life-changing. This changes the way we live. Verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself 
and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is something Christ initiates. He dies as the sacrifice through which men can be reconciled to God. But it doesn't stop there. The ministry doesn't stop there. It's handed off to the apostles who are going to preach that word by which man can take advantage of that reconciliation. And it continues on even to us. We still have that responsibility to show people what Christ has done for them. That is, verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And again, that's Paul as an apostle in the cohort, but the apostles are no longer here. We have to uh, preach that message of reconciliation. Paul says, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And I think that's something that all of us, though we're not apostles, we should be able to say to people. We implore you on behalf of Christ, not for our sake, for the sake of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then he goes on, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Paul's motivation you see in this passage is multifaceted. There's the fear of the Lord, there's the love of Christ, there's the death of Christ, and then there's the reconciliation that Christ has offered mankind. And Paul says, with all this in my corner, I have to preach this. I have to share this with others. I have to be a part of this ministry. And I know time is swiftly um, getting away from us. So I want to skip Acts 22 and 26. But I want you, if you can tonight or sometime before Wednesday, read those verses and see how Paul is using his conversion from Judaism to Christianity to try to convince others that they should convert to Christianity too. And that's something we can use uh, as well, our own personal experiences. But I want to look at Paul's outline, if you will. That's what I'm going to call this, Paul's outline for natural evangelism. In Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may, uh, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So Paul asked the Christians to pray for two things. One, that God would create opportunities for him to preach. And two, that... Two, when he preached to these people, he would have the message clear and that he'd be able to communicate it effectively. But notice, they've got some responsibilities too. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Don't get caught up in silly stuff that's going to make people not want to be Christians. Make sure you're making the best use of your time. When you have an opportunity with somebody, when you're praying for an opportunity and the opportunity comes, God presents that door. Make sure you walk through it. Verse 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So I'm praying for opportunities. I'm praying for my brethren and for myself. I'm walking in wisdom toward outsiders, taking advantage of all the opportunities God gives me with them. And I'm making sure that when I speak, my speech is gracious, it's seasoned with salt. That is, I say things that are needed. I say things that are constructive. I say things that get people's minds focused toward Christ. 
and I know how to answer each person. And this is part of where, why study is important. You know, when somebody says, well, where is that in the Bible? Or where is this? What is this? We have an idea of where to go. Um, so there you go. That's kind of the outline, if you will, for natural evangelism from Paul. So you see this last section, and this is, um, I'm sorry to do this to you guys, but we're going to have homework pretty much every week. And just sometime between now and Wednesday, I hope you can fill this out. You've got these last questions. Uh, item C, answer the following. How did you come to the Lord? Who influenced, who influenced you to become a Christian? How has Christ made a difference in your life? Who might benefit from hearing your story? How can your story help people who are searching for the Lord? And that's the first step in this natural evangelism, kind of making it personal like we saw Paul do in those verses. So you have about half a page here. If you can answer all that in that space, fine. If not, uh, you know, feel free to write on a separate piece of paper. But I would like for us to write about these things, at the very least think about these things, and be ready to share some of these things with each other next week. And being mindful of when we meet people between here and Wednesday, um, what's something we could share with them? What's something we could say with them? And it's not like we're just going to rattle off the plan of salvation the first time we meet somebody. Uh, but can we make a friend? Can we try to draw somebody closer to Jesus? All right, let's um, pray, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. God, our Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who died for our sins and for the sins of the world, that all who come to him in faith and obedience can be saved. Father, we pray that you'll be with us throughout this week. Help us to be evangelistic wherever we go. We pray that you'll give us opportunities uh, to speak the words of Christ to others. We pray that when you present those opportunities to us, we'll seize them, we'll make the best use of our time, and we'll speak to them in a gracious way. Father, please strengthen us, our, us and our hands in this work. We ask for your blessings and your favor. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.